0: walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.
1: Well, first, I just want to say uh, thank you. Um, You know, the truth is... uh, Isn't that I'm? I'm any good at all this stuff. The truth is that um, God is good, and that you are all a people who are very easy to love, and that you uh, love me and my family so well. So thank you. Also, the other thing I should probably correct is that um, Darlene says bear paws was my idea, and um, I just said, "Hey, Darlene, could you do an after-school program?" And she took it and ran with it. So. Um, Darlene and, and all of those who volunteer and, and help her and all of y'all who, who support us in that. Um, thank you. Well, George Herbert, that great 17th century poet, wrote this. He said, by all means, use sometimes to be alone. Salute thyself. See what thy soul doth wear. Dare to look in thy chest, for tis thine own, and tumble up and down what thou findest there. Who cannot rest till he good fellows find, he breaks up house, turns out of doors his mind. What what do you see? What do you see when you take time to look into your soul? What doth your soul wear, to use his language? Last week, we talked about how we are saved by grace alone, that no amount of effort on our part can bring a dead man back to life. Only God in Christ can do that. And then this week, we're going to look at the rest of this passage, these last three verses in this section, where Paul says this of our salvation. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Here is the reality. Here is the reality. Why Paul even has to say this. If we weren't saved by grace, guess what? We would boast in ourselves. We would. We would do it. Boasting is that that expressing uh, of satisfaction and confidence, and you're expressing that. It's, it's that look what I did kind of a thing. And it's not always bad. Um, for instance, Lena, who was, was sitting up here with me, um, I remember one of my favorite memories is when she was making s'mores by herself for the first time. And so she goes and she gets the... She gets the marshmallow and she, she goes and then she roasts it and then she comes back and, and gets the cracker and the chocolate and she puts it all together and she takes a big bite and with you know marshmallow over her face, she looks at, at us and she goes, I did this. I did it all by my own and I'm only six. Do you know any six-year-olds who can do this? I did it, I made this s'more by myself. That's boasting. It was an appropriate occasion for boasting. That that surprise, that excitement, that joy. She had that satisfaction in the result. That confidence in her ability. That's boasting. But Paul makes it clear. Paul makes it clear. When it comes to salvation, we cannot boast about ourselves. When it comes to our salvation, we can't boast about ourselves. We looked at that part last week, how we were spiritually dead. We were enslaved to our sin. We were guilty in the eyes of the righteous judge. And then he drives that point home in verses 8 through 9. He says, you were saved by grace through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's a gift. It's not the result of works. You cannot boast in yourself. But we know we would. We would do it. We would look at, at what the Lord has done in our hearts. We would look at, at where we used to be and where we are now. And we would, we would be tempted to say, I did it all by my own. My hard work, my good choices, Look how good I can be. Look how pretty I am. Look how successful I am. Look how charming I am. Look how smart I am. Look how liked I am. But the gospel is the same for the rich and for the poor, for those with a high IQ and a low IQ. It is the same for those who are good, and it is the same for those who are rotten. God is the only one who can save. He did it all by his own, to use Lena's words how does this help us today? God's grace. What we're going to look at in here is that God's grace comforts us in failure. It corrects us in pride. It gives unyielding significance and compels us for service. I tried to get four C's, but I'm not Baptist enough. So I only got three, but three out of four is not bad there let's look at this first part. How does God's grace comfort us in failure? Look at verses eight and nine again. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. If you you are boasting in yourself, If you are boasting in yourself and you're saying, look at how far I have come by my own, what what you are doing, what you're doing is you're, you're having confidence that comes from what you do. Now, you don't have to look any further than an athlete, a professional athlete, to see what this looks like. Muhammad Ali, what did he say? I am the greatest. And I said that before I even knew I was. Michael Jordan, he said he approaches every situation, every competition thinking, no matter who you put me up against, I'm better. I'm the best. John Cena, wrestler turned actor, he says, to succeed, I have to believe every night I'm the best. There's nothing wrong with having a good and positive self image and we're gonna to get to that a little bit later, but but what do you do if this is your image and everything is based on, on what I can do and I'm the best and I succeed and I do not fail? What happens when you do? What happens when someone is better? What happens when someone has more? What happens when you know I'm not the best? What happens when you look inside of yourself and you take that time to consider what thy soul doth wear and you look and you say, it's all a sham. I'm the worst. And everything I put out there for people to see is wrong. Here is where God's grace is such a comfort. If you belong to Jesus, you can recognize I didn't save myself. I couldn't save myself. And even if I could save myself, I was so set against God that I wouldn't have saved myself. But God saved me anyway. But God saved me anyway. God never depended on how good I am. And that means He loves me as much on my worst day as He does on my best day. The love of God, the grace of God, it is that constant in our lives. In fact, I love the way another pastor puts it and he, sa- he says, actually, the, the worse you are, the more God's grace comes flooding in to overwhelm you in your sin. So instead of boasting about ourselves we find ourselves comforted that we can boast about him and about how good God is and we can boast about what God has done and so when the enemy comes or when 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 doubt comes and you you begin to just be thinking to yourself oh my gosh you blew it you're too bad you went too far you've done too much he God could never love you and no one could ever love you you can answer as Paul does in another letter he says because of him We are in Christ Jesus. I am in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that I will boast in Him. We are saved by grace, and we remain saved by grace. And if it wasn't our works that accomplished that, then our works cannot unaccomplish that. I'm sorry, English teachers. We rely on the work of Jesus alone for our salvation. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, always. And we boast in him and what he has done. God's grace does something else for us too, though. It it corrects us in our pride. See, in verse 10... In verse 10, it talks about how how we were created for good works and that we should walk in them. And Paul is contrasting what he talked about earlier in verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, he says you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And now he's saying here, you, you go from being dead and walking in trespasses and sin to being alive and walking in these good works that God has prepared for you. And what he's talking about is this change in your nature, this fundamental change in nature. That people who are alive should live as those who are alive. People who are innocent should live as those who are innocent. You should walk as one who's innocent. People who are free from sin should walk as those who are free from sin. But what can happen, what can happen is sometimes... Followers of Jesus can, can become prideful. We, we stop looking at the Lord and what He's done in our lives, and we start looking at ourselves and saying, oh man, I am awesome. I am great. Look at what I have done. And this is the kind of thing, by the way, that tends to turn people who are not Christians, it tends to turn them away from Jesus faster than just about anything when we, when we see ourselves changing, we see these, these good and holy habits formed. We begin to do good things and we stop saying, look at what God has done. We say, look at what I have done. I don't miss church. I help the homeless. I read my Bible. I pray for my enemies. I keep the Ten Commandments. And we start sounding a lot like that rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, all that law stuff, I kept it. I did it. I won. Good job, me. And we begin to boast, find our satisfaction, find our confidence, not in what God is doing, but in what we think we are doing. But here is how, here is how this, this passage and the grace of God corrects us. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you know what this is like? This is like in uh, Luke 17. Luke 17, when Jesus is talking and he's giving this parable and he says, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you are commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. I used to read this passage and think it was really kind of harsh. Like, dang, Jesus, don't, don't go after him like that. But here's what he's doing. He, he is correcting that, that tendency and that temptation to, to look at the things God is doing through us and to look at, look at you know what we've done you know, kind of like a husband who, you know, cleans the kitchen and he doesn't usually clean the kitchen. And how many times do you tell your spouse, Hey, did you see the kitchen's looking extra clean? Right? What Jesus is doing in that parable and what Paul is doing here by saying, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works is he's saying, when you are doing good things, you're just doing what you're supposed to do. You're just doing what you were made to do. This is what you were made for. That, that's part of what it is to, to walk in the spirit. That's part of what it is to walk, to follow after Christ, is that these good works that are here in front of you, that's what you're supposed to do. We don't have to get a big head about it. It's what you're supposed to do. It's like, a, it's like when you hear a parent and they, they say, well, I can't do that. I've got to babysit my kids. What? They're your kids. You're not babysitting. You're just being a parent. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're there for. That's what Paul is saying here. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It is a corrective for pride. We can't become proud when God puts these good things before us and we do them because that's what we're supposed to do. And I love it that he says this in verse 10. He says, God already prepared them beforehand. God got it all ready for you. It wasn't even your idea. Seemed like your idea, felt like your idea, but God prepared these things beforehand. We can't take the credit when it wasn't even our own idea. God did this, and God did it in us, and he did it through us because that's what we're supposed to do. So God's grace corrects us in our pride because instead of saying, look what I have done, we can reorient from our belly button and start saying, "Look at what God has done." Now, here's the next thing: God's grace gives unyielding significance. See, some people hear the, these first two parts that you know, oh, I can't, you know, I can't boast when I'm down about how bad I am. I can't boast when I'm good about how good I am. Well, well golly, I'm, I'm an unworthy servant. I just need to. I just need to crawl on the ground and rub dirt on my face. And I call that worm theology. And we just, I'm a worm. I'm a worm. There's nothing good about me. That's not what Paul is saying. The truth is actually far from that. What does it say in verse 10? We are His what? Workmanship. We are his workmanship. Some translations will, will even say we are his masterpiece. We are his poema, is the word. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Poema, po- poem. We, we are, it's related to that word. It's not, it's not a direct thing, but it's related to that word. It carries that connotation of someone sitting down and crafting a work of art, sitting down and being very intentional about what they are doing. And, and, and when it says God has made us his workmanship in Christ Jesus, what that means is that God doesn't despise his workmanship. God doesn't despise his workmanship. He values it. He treasures it. He delights in it. And if you are in Christ, you have been under that molding and that forming, and he has made you a new creation. And he values you because you have value to God. You have a value that is unshakable, unyielding. You are His workmanship. You can lose your job, lose your friends, you can lose your family, you can use your physical ability, you can lose your mental acuity. God still values you. He still treasures you. He still delights you. In his workmanship. He has made you new. He is making you new. And someday we will fully experience what it means to just bask in the delight of God. And return and reflect that joy to him. Knowing that we are his workmanship. And that we are the objects of his love. That gives you an unyielding significance to know that you are his workmanship. The last thing we'll say about this passage is this. God's grace, God's grace, it comforts us, it comforts us in our failure, it corrects us in our pride, it gives us unyielding significance, God's grace also compels us to service. God's grace compels us to service, God's grace compels us to walk in those good works that he's prepared for us. How does it do that? How does it do that? Well, let me me tell you about a a woman named Tasha Trafford. Tasha Trafford. She was married uh, in Thailand in 2012. And uh, she's married, and then not too long after, um, she gets cancer. So she, she goes to the doctors. They, they, you know, do a combination of things. She gets chemotherapy and she beats it and she beats it. And so, so then she finally is in a place where now she can pursue her dream of becoming a mother. And so through process of in in vitro, she becomes pregnant and she is delighted. And shortly after she gets word, the cancer has returned the doctors come to her and they tell her, Tasha, you have a choice. You can abort this child and live by taking chemo or this cancer will kill you. Tasha was a nurse. She knew what choice she was making. She knew what she was getting into. But she said doing anything that might harm my unborn baby would be unthinkable. And so she knowingly, knowingly made a choice because of love. She knowingly made a choice. I will die so my child can live. And baby Cooper, baby Cooper was born on December 12th, 2015, And they had 11 months together. Here is the question. If you were baby Cooper, if someone loved you with that kind of love, it compels you to live with gratitude, doesn't it? Every time you think about that love, every thought... Every action, every decision while you are thinking about the love of the mother for her son, when you are thinking about that, every thought and every action and every decision is powered by that love. It is motivating you in that love because in your mind is she loves me so much that she gave her life for me. I don't want to waste a single day. Jesus loves you. With that kind of love, the kind of love that led him to the cross, the kind of love that, that, that made him say, I will die so that they can live. And he knew better than we do what he was facing on that cross. He knew. That's why it says in the garden, he, he was, was, was sweating blood. Because he knew what he was going to face on that cross. And it says in Philippians that it was for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He went willingly, knowingly. Why? Because he loves you. That is the power for good works. That is what compels us to service. That is what compels us to walk in these things. What compels us to to action is the love of Christ. And and when you stop and you meditate and you think of the love of Christ, when you think of the love of Christ, your thoughts, your actions, everything, you say, Lord, I don't want to waste a day because if you love me that much, I I want to show my gratitude in the way that I live. that, That is why Paul writes in another letter for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Thanks be to God for his grace and mercy in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Lord, your grace that is our comfort and failure. Lord, we can never measure up to the perfect standard of your law. We know that there are things we've left undone, there are things that we have done that we shouldn't have. your grace comforts us. Lord, we thank you that your grace corrects us in our pride when we start to get inflated and start to get a big head. Lord, it is your grace that reminds us that we are a product of your work. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace that gives us enduring significance. That we are your workmanship that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus and you delight in us. Lord, we thank you for your grace that compels us that with full knowledge of what it would cost you and full knowledge of who we are and with full knowledge of all the failures that would follow, you went to the cross for our sake Would your love be that thing that compels us to treasure you and to walk as befitting those who belong to you? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Would you please stand, if you are able, as we affirm what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed.